good late morning to everyone listening to Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Jake Novak, and this is one of those mornings, folks, where I'm absolutely so happy that we do this show live as much as possible. I think we've done it live just about every single time, maybe about three or four times we've done it slightly taped, maybe an hour or two before we air it. This is live, and I'm so happy it's live today because there have been so many good stories breaking over the last few hours and overnight. I just It would be a shame to have taped this yesterday or Friday or something like that. And I'm going to really focus on a, on a huge big news story. And for those of you who are math phobic or financial news phobic, I want you to stay with me here. It's not going to be scary. We're, there will be no charts and there will be no tests. Um, but there is a financial news story here that has, of course, a lot more connotations. I wouldn't just do, just do a financial news story, even though that is one of, the, one of my areas of expertise and, and where I've been working for the last many, many years in that, that part of the journalism world. But journalism world. But this is a big story for everyone and for a lot of reasons. And here it is. Pepsi Corp, Pepsi-Cola, is buying Israel's SodaStream for $3.2 billion. I know I said there wouldn't be any math, but let me get into a little bit of the math just to note it for later. They will be officially buying it. When you buy a company that's a publicly traded company, you have to tell the world how much you're offering per share. So Pepsi is going to offer $144 per share of SodaStream, even though SodaStream is only trading, in, in, you know, as they started trading this morning, a little bit under $130 a share. So it's uh, what they call a 10% premium. In other words, they're going to pay 10% over what the existing share price is. And again, just a little bit more math, my friends. For those of you interested in how this works, Three years ago today, or three years ago about today, you could have bought a share of SodaStream for $11.40. Today, it's being bought for $144 each. So again, even those of you who are math-phobic probably can follow me when I tell you that is more than 10 times your money in just a span of three years. Not bad. And a very, very big story in the whole financial world, and certainly it has a, political, a lot of political connotations, some cultural connotations, I'm going to try to break down as many of the highlights as possible because this is a big story. Again, I'm Jake Novak. This is Novak Now. Our big story, Pepsi buying SodaStream for $3.2 billion in a story that has a lot of connotations for the world. Uh, please follow me on Twitter, at JakeJakeNY. I do a daily morning news, financial news update for the mathphobic. And the math geniuses alike. It doesn't matter how well-versed you are or not well-versed in financial or economic news. This is an update that will absolutely speak to you. And you will find it not only interesting, but it will make you smart. And it's easy to read. It takes, uh, I usually do about between 10 and 16 or 17 news stories very quickly summarized. And for those of you who want the AP version, the advanced placement version, I provide links for, for more study of that story. Um, and it's my editorial judgment of 25-plus years of television and financial news letting you know what I think are the top 15 to 16 stories. Sometimes it's only about 10. For those of you who are looking to do lighter summer reading, I only had 11 this morning because it was not a heavy, big, big business news morning as far as number of stories. But it is a big business news morning because of this big Pepsi buying SodaStream story. So I want to get to so the, the, the financials of the story are really fascinating. You know, SodaStream was one of those companies... For those of you who don't know what SodaStream is, I can't believe there's too many of you who don't, but SodaStream is that company that makes that machine and those little formulas that you can use to make soda and flavored drinks that taste just like the stuff that you get at the store at home. And ultimately, for soda and flavored drink uh, folks, it is a money saver. 
And and let's face it, it's a cool gadget to have in the house. And let's face it, there's some of us who like to buy Israeli-made products, especially when they're kind of cool G whiz products. And SodaStream is all those things. So for people who are investing in that kind of thing, just thinking about the consumer angle, thinking about the cool technical angle, plenty of reasons to buy SodaStream stock and invest in it. It's good to invest in what you know, you know, within reason. If you can tell yourself it's not just an emotional reason that I'm that I'm investing in this, it also has an intellectual basis in it that it's a good idea. But SodaStream also had a for many years because they felt that today would happen, that there would be a day that would come when a foreign company would buy it. Uh, or, you know, or, you know, probably not an Israeli, and I say foreign because not an Israeli company wasn't expected to buy it. A, a major soda drinker a company would buy it. And that, and, and that didn't take a genius to figure out. Again, math, financial news, phobic, stay with me. I promise you this isn't as hard. Somebody once told me when I first started studying economics, something that just has always stayed with me, and I hope that I can get that message out today as well. Economics, and most of the terminology of economics, is about putting fancy words and terms and phrases and in charts, the stuff that you already know. Things like opportunity cost, things like supply and demand, fancy terms, fancy phrases for things that if you are a common sense thinking individual, you already knew. You know, you know, for example, like opportunity, you know that there, if a company owns an entire jet plane and they know that there are going to be five seats that are going to be empty on that flight, it makes sense for them about an hour before the flight to sell those seats at a ridiculously low price because that, those seats can't be removed from the plane anyway. You know, not in, not in five minutes or not in a couple of hours they can. So things like that. Common sense type stuff. So follow me here when I talk about the fact that since people knew that SodaStream was cutting into established soda business, cutting into established juice and, and that kind of business, people knew that there was a good chance that some of these giants, I mean, Coke and Pepsi are massive corporations, big, big companies. They're not just at the corner store, folks. They own a lot of stuff. You know that, right? Even the, even the financial news phobics, you know that, Okay. So it made sense for people for years that, hey, one day, one of these companies might buy SodaStream. They're cutting into their business. At some point, they need to cut their losses and, and buy this company. And they're not going to buy it and then just set it on fire they're, because that wouldn't, you know, s somebody else would come around and create another type of competing business like that. They're going to buy it and hopefully stoke that flame and get things going, stoke that positive flame, not the burning down flame, right? Try to get things, try to keep that business going because... It's no skin off their back. If they own it, then they're just creating another angle to their business. And so a lot of people over the years have been buying SodaStream stock, not really owning the product, not even knowing really much about where it's made. They didn't care about that. They just felt like, oh, this is a company that is likely to be bought one day by Pepsi and Coke or Coke. And when they buy it, I'm going to make a big profit. So if you did that, especially starting three years ago today, you, know, you, you made a massive, massive windfall today. And uh, congratulations to you. Mazel tov to you. It, it's it's one of the exciting things about about the markets. So to me, from a financial point of view, a financial standpoint, this is really interesting. SodaStream was just an actively traded stock for years on takeover logic, takeover rumors, the fact that the company wouldn't die. It had, And we'll talk a lot, of, a lot more about the war on SodaStream that has been going on for a long time. Um, you know, there's just a lot of positive stories from a financial standpoint. I like market economies free market economies when they make decisions. I trust their decisions as being more valid and real than those that are, that are politically tinged. And boy, did SodaStream prove that correct today. And I'll, I'll talk about that a lot throughout the rest of the program. So again, your big news story today on the Nachum Siegel Network and here on the Novak Now program live today, 
SodaStream purchased by Pepsi for $3.2 billion. And I've kind of just gone through the, the financial aspects of that story, which I think are very, very important. And I hope that those of you who are, are listening, who are financial news phobic, who think, oh, that's not for me. I'm not interested in big business stories. I, I, I'm, I'm a social studies kind of guy. I'm an English major type of person. I'm a teacher. Uh, I, I'm not interested in that. Folks, there's no getting around the market stuff. Unless you live in a world where money and, and, and finance and have, making a living don't matter. And if you do live in that world, let me know. Uh, I, I'd like to visit. Um, this is important. This, this kind of stuff is important for you to know. You don't have to be a big-time investor. You don't have to be a high roller or a gambler. But you should know what's going on in the world of finance, just like you should know what's going on with the weather and you should know what's going, you should know what's going on with politics, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is not acceptable anymore for people to be so in the dark about things like this. It is a huge, huge issue for me that our American high schools and even colleges basically do not teach any kind of financial literacy to students unless they absolutely you know, – you know, pursue it themselves, which is just ridiculous. Would we let kids graduate without taking a writing course or a spelling test? Uh, I mean, it's outrageous that we allow kids to graduate high school, sometimes even with honors, when they don't know the difference between a stock and a bond, where they wouldn't know how to, how to, how to balance a checkbook, stuff like that. So that's not acceptable, and uh, we have to, to, to work with that. So again, at Jake Jake NY is my Twitter feed. I tweet a lot of financial stories. And listen, I do a lot of politics. I do a lot of culture. I do even sports on my Twitter feed. It's a, it's a pretty constant stream of, of information. But financial news is a big part of what I do. And, it's, and I promise you, it's financial news for the layman. It is not financial news for really, really guru types who will, and I don't use terminology that try to make me look smart. By the way, when mo most of the time when people use terminology, and this isn't just true in financial news, when people use terminology that isn't widely understood by most people, it usually means that that person doesn't really quite know that much. <laughs> it's counterintuitive. It actually means that that person isn't that smart, doesn't really have a chiddush, as we would say in fancy schmancy terms. So I try not to do that. Not to, so I'm Because I'm not trying to show you how smart I am. I'm just trying to communicate with people. I got into this business so I could communicate with people, politely debate with people sometimes, those kinds of things. I, I have to say, I really think that I'm a, sadly a rarity in my business. I don't know a lot of other people who are in journalism. I know a lot, you know, because of the years that I've been in, but I'm unfortunately not a majority and not even the plurality of journalism, journalists that I know who get into the business for the reasons that I got into it. So... Uh, but that's another discussion. But anyway, this is a big story. Please follow uh, my Twitter feed and get those kinds of stories, especially if you are not usually that financially news savvy, because this is an easy way to get in. That said, let's move on from the financial aspect of this only. I mean, I, I'm certainly going to talk about more about that. But it's, let's also talk about what a big story this is for other reasons. So the first reason that this is also just a huge story just a huge story for those of us who have been following the news in Israel, following the situation and the story of Israel for decades is, did I tell you at the beginning of the show the name of the company that bought SodaStream? That's right. It was Pepsi, Pepsi Cola, Pepsi Corp, Pepsi. Now, for those of you who, like me, grew up in the 1970s and 1980s, the name Pepsi in Israel is still a very hard thing to get used to. Because Pepsi very much bought into the Arab boycott of Israel during that period and did not really do business in Israel. When I, my, the first few times I went to Israel as a young kid in the 70s and 80s, there were no Pepsi products in Israel to be found. Coke became a dominant product in Israel. They decided to stick with their business in Israel. Pepsi didn't. They decided to join in the Arab boycotts at the time. 
and Pepsi was not existent in Israel, and all Pepsi products were not existent in Israel. Now, that ended, I believe, in the late 80s or early 90s. I don't know the exact year when Pepsi decided to start doing business in Israel again. They have been for quite some time, probably over 25 years. So that's good. But now, now it's Pepsi, not Coke, buying the signature Israeli company that people know about very well. And it's Pepsi buying it. What a turn of events this is, especially for those of you who are about my age. I'm 47 years old, again, growing up in the 70s and 80s. If you're about my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, and, and, and have that story of Israel in your head and that history of Israel in your head and in your heart, you have to stop for a second here and smile and smile that it's Pepsi of all companies that's buying SodaStream today. What an amazing turn of events. What a positive turn of events that is. And, you know, look, the, the mistakes of the past have not been repeated uh, by the, this current administration at Pepsi. Now, Pepsi has one of the better CEOs in all of the business. And Dear Nuri, who is the CEO, she's announced recently that she's going to step down at the end of this year or sometime in 2019, which is too bad because she did a great job there. But also good. I, you know, these people who are like CEOs for life, there's a lot of problems with that other than just the obvious, hey, there's not, not enough of a, of a culture change when, when companies need a culture change. Look, you know, if Pepsi CEO still had the CEO from 30 years ago, this wouldn't have happened. They still would be doing the Arab boycott. So, so good that that's changed. But she was a great CEO, and, and she'll be missed. And she obviously had a big part in this deal with SodaStream, so yet another star on her, um, her record books in my book. Um, so again, for, for Pepsi to make this deal, what a historic thing that is. You know, for Pepsi to be the big, and, and, and I have to say that really, of all the consumer-known companies, there were probably a number of companies that joined in that Arab boycott that, that may have been bigger than Pepsi in some ways as far as a market capitalization. Again, I'd hate to use that fancy term that some people frighten some people, just in, in the total value of the company. There probably were bigger companies that joined in that boycott in one way or another. But Pepsi, from a consumer-recognizable standpoint, they were the poster boy of the Arab corporate, you know, the, the corporate boycotts pushed on by the Arab companies of Israel. And again, you know, the, the reasoning behind the boycott was very simple. It was stupid, but simple, in that they just said, the Arab country said, you want to do business with us, you, don't, you better not do any business in Israel. And of course, a lot of companies just did the math and said, Gee, there's a lot more Arabs than Israelis. Uh, okay, I'll follow the boycott. Not realizing that it was Israel's economy who was growing while the Arab economy was shrinking. The argument was silly. But anyway, a lot of companies went with it, and Pepsi was the poster boy for that. And for them to be doing this now, not only to have ended the boycott 25 years ago or so, but to have made this deal today. What a change it is. And boy, does it put a lot of smiles on, on faces today. I'm sure there are a lot of people my age and around my age who are really smiling. And for those of you who are a lot younger, who maybe didn't live through that Pepsi boycott period, but still know how, how, um, how effective it was as far as make, making a, an international name of, of that boycott, then you're probably smiling too. So a very, very big deal. A very, very big deal. Of course, that was the old school. I call it the old school boycott. Um, again, you're listening to Novak now on the Nachum Siegel Network talking about Pepsi's purchase of SodaStream today for $3.2 billion. Talking about how it's amazing, whereas Pepsi was the poster boy of the old 70s, old school, 70s and early 80s, old school Arab boycott of businesses that did any business with Israel. With Israel. Um, I call that old school because that was really not in the public discourse all that much. You knew about it in the, in, among Zionist circles. In fact, I, I would really venture to bet that American Zionists and Jewish Zionists all over the world knew more about the Arab boycott in the 70s than Arab countries did and the people on the so-called Arab street, that kind of thing. 
I would venture to say that very, um, very confidently. Um, now you have a movement that started, you know, maybe 10 years ago, the BDS movement, boycott, divest, and sanction movement, which has been very much fueled by social media. And they target almost everything about Israel, anything that comes out of Israel. It's much more a blanket and umbrella than the old Arab country boycott of the 70s and early 80s. And on, while I think it has much less of a financial impact, in fact, I know it has much less of a financial impact, I think as far as a cultural impact, it is much more pervasive because many more people know about it than just Jewish Zionists and just Jewish folks and maybe just a few handful of Arab leaders. Because of social media and because of the way the BDS movement targets high-profile targets that are already in the news a lot, it's been more effective from the point of view of getting publicity. It's financial impact, less effective. And again, it, to me, it's a little bit of a toss-up about what I would choose. I guess, put a gun to my head, I'd rather have the financial impact not be as serious, so I'll take the BDS movement over the old-school 70s Arab boycott, I guess. But when you realize how damaging day-to-day anti-Israel publicity and anti-Israel uh, you know, rhetoric and anti-Israel lies can be, I'm not so sure. I think over the course of time, it's possible that even though it has a smaller financial impact, it can have more of a cultural and political impact. And again, SodaStream, which again, our big news story today, Pepsi buying SodaStream for $3.2 billion. SodaStream was in the middle and was probably one of the highest, if not at some point, the highest profile target of the BDS movement. And the reason why it was such a high profile target is not because it was such a valuable company. Now, again, a $3.2 billion deal is not chum change, folks. Uh, financial news organizations, uh, just to give you a little idea of how they work, for the most part, the big ones, the CNBCs, the Wall Street Journals, the Bloombergs of the world, when they do front page stories, or in the case of the television broadcast, when they do their television broadcast, they basically have a rule, the $1 billion rule. You don't talk about a deal that's, le that's worth less than a billion dollars. Of course, this is worth 3.2, so this clearly passes that test. You don't mention a stock on the air or in your front page if it or on your front page if it's if it's worth worth less than a billion dollars. The logic behind that being that a, a, a smaller stock like that, talked about on the air like that, or put on the front page like that, can cause huge volatile trading in that stock, and it would be a market manipulation. Too much of a temptation for people to say things one one way or the other and make an impact. So you don't do that. So. My, that's my long way of saying a $3.2 billion deal is absolutely not chump change. It, it by 320% or whatever you want, by, by 220%, just to get the math right, it, it exceeds the, 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 the minimums of, of financial reporting. So it's a very big deal. It's a big deal. However, SodaStream is not a huge company. I mean, take a look at some of the big, massive mergers that you're reading about in the paper. They're 50, 60, 70 billion dollars. So we're not talking about a top five, you know, a top 10 country, company here. Okay. Not, not in the least, but it is a big company. And it was the real major focal point of the BDS movement for a long time. Again, not because it was a huge company, even though it was a big company by any standard, just not a huge company, but because it had a lot of high profile PR one way or the other going around. And it reached a crescendo around the time that SodaStream got Scarlett Johansson to do a SodaStream commercial for a Super Bowl a few years ago. And that was when the BDS movement really hit a crescendo and decided to really target SodaStream. Because it, the BDS movement, for all of their failures, on the, again, they, they have failed financially. Israel's economy continues to grow. Their foreign trade continues to grow at a breakneck pace. They're doing very, very well. BDS has not put a dent in it in any way whatsoever. But from a 
PR point of view, they're very smart. They know how to get on the front page. They know how to get on the home page of your of your or your favorite mobile news app. Because what they do is they latch themselves on, they piggyback onto other things that that create that generate news. And Scarlett Johansson, even now, especially now, she's actually the highest paid actress in Hollywood, and she certainly wasn't making chump change a few years ago when she made this commercial, is a news generator. She's a big news generator in Hollywood. She's a big news generator as far as the paparazzi goes. Everyone wants to know who she's dating and with. I mean, she's a big story all the time. So they knew that this would be a fantastic story for them to go after because and attacking her personally and attacking SodaStream via her. And they went after her. And they went after the commercial. And they did all kinds of things on the street, too. They decided to go at, to the Upper West Side to stores like Fairway and stores like Zabar's or wherever people can buy SodaStream. I think Fairway was the store. And they picketed outside there. So they harassed a bunch of Upper West Side Jewish people buying SodaStream. And they probably were successful in getting a few of them not to buy it. Did SodaStream suffer from it, from it financially? Well, today we can say no, certainly not in the long run. But you know what, folks? Somebody else did suffer from it financially. Because the so-called beef of the BDS movement, this is, and this is a very, very dishonest beef of theirs, their dishonest official line. It's dishonest, but it's their official line, which is, oh, no, 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 we're not boycotting Israel. We're only boycotting products and things that are made in the, in the, in the West Bank and Gaza. Well, there's no Gaza anymore. Obviously, Israelis don't live or operate there anymore. So there's not Gaza. So the West Bank. And SodaStream had major operations in the West Bank. They were a major employer of West Bank Arabs. And for those of you who think they were just using those Arabs like serfs or landed, gen, you know, or, or landed uh, you know, it, pe peasants, you're wrong again. There were a lot of upper-level managers of SodaStream who were Arab Israelis. Okay? But BDS movement put so much pressure on SodaStream, so much international uproar over it, that SodaStream decided to move from the West Bank, and they moved further to the south. And predictably... A lot of the Arab workers didn't go with them. It was too much of a schlep for them to get there, too hard for them to get in from the territories. And so they hurt Arab workers. Now, I sincerely hope that some of those Arab managers did make the move, that some of those Arab managers and workers continued to get some kind of equity in the company so that they reaped a big windfall today. Because for those of them who were loyal to SodaStream and kept working there and didn't listen to the nonsense from their own world and from the radical anti-Israel left in this country and in the West... I hope that they, they, they were rewarded financially today. I really do. But a lot of them weren't. We know that a lot of them weren't. And a lot of them didn't. And what a shame that is. It's, it's the one kind of tear to be shed today on this otherwise very successful day for Israel, for people who have made smart investments over the years. It, it's great that Pepsi is buying SodaStream. It's great that it's for $3.2 billion. It's great that if you bought SodaStream stock three years ago today at about $11 a share, you're selling it today for 144 It's great. But it's sad that a lot of Arab workers and Arab managers probably aren't reaping the windfall they would have if it weren't for this divisive, ill-timed, horrible BDS movement, which only serves to hurt good people. That's all it does. That's all it does. They're smart when it comes to getting publicity. I, I give them that. But I'd rather be good than smart any day, and they have not, not been good. And that leads me to my final point. This is a point that I really, if you, if you remember nothing else today from this edition of Novak Now on Nachum Siegel Network, please, please.
please remember what I'm about to say over the next five minutes or so, because this is very, very important. And this is counter to what you've been taught in school and counter to what you read in the papers and counter to the so-called conventional wisdom out there that a lot of us have grown up with. And it's very, very important that you understand this. And the SodaStream story today is yet another example of this. And I have millions of them, millions of them. And that's not an exaggeration. There are millions of examples of about what I'm about to tell you. And here's what I want you to remember very, very clearly. Here it is. We've been told for years, and there are people who are supposedly smart and powerful who believe that the best way to stop crime and terrorism is fill in the blank, what? Economic opportunity, right? If we could just end the poverty in the world, end the financial suffering, end the hunger, end the lack of access to healthcare, end the childhood mortality, then the terrorists and the criminals would have nowhere to recruit and terrorism and crime will go away. This is what we've all been told. This is what we've been accepted. We probably even heard our rabbis and teachers tell us this. Let me tell you what that is. It's nonsense. It is not true. Because it is based on this premise that poverty and financial hardship is what draws people to crime, violence, and terrorism. My friends, it is the other way around. Crime, terrorism, and violence creates poverty, creates economic hardship, creates misery. And that is what the truth is. Wherever you see people who are living in poverty, living in great violence, it is because they are living in proximity to or their community basically accepts or stays quiet about the crime, terror, and violence within it. And again, I have Millions of examples of this. But today's example is very poignant. The anti-Israel criminal network, it is a criminal network because it includes not just terrorism, but lies in the BDS movement. Criminal trespass on private property. When people go into a fairway and harass people who are buying a soda stream, that is a criminal act. Okay, I'm not saying you should lock the person up forever, but that's a criminal act. And what has that caused? Poverty. The Arab, the Arab workers who were working in the West Bank at the old SodaStream factory lost their access to jobs because SodaStream buckled under the pressure. The people at Fairway who could have sold that, that SodaStream, eventually probably a lot of them lost their jobs because as those of you know about Fairway, they, they, they contracted as a business recently. A lot less Fairway, a lot fewer Fairway locations than there used to be. There are so many more examples of this. Terrorism, crime, violence creates poverty. And any place in the world where you see poverty, you can be sure it is because crime, violence, and terrorism caused it. It's not always in the form of terrorism, not always in the form of a boycott movement. Very often, in fact, I would say more often than not, it is the result of a criminal regime. The king, dictator, tribal leader, you name it, who's in charge of that poverty-stricken area is a crook, most likely, is a violent terrorist, most likely. And any business that would think about going in that area won't go. Okay? And it's not just overseas. Look at the south side of Chicago. Another 46, 50 people shot just this weekend in the city, in the south side of Chicago. What sane business leader is going to go in there and open a store or open a, 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 you know, a business and hire the local people? What, what is he, nuts? He wouldn't. Not because of the poverty. But that's what causes the poverty. Now, that doesn't 
mean you don't help poor people for crying out loud help poor people but if you're helping poor people because you think they're going to be a criminal otherwise your heart's not in the right place and you're not doing it for the right reason and it probably won't be effective if you're giving money for example to the palestinian authority because you figure like well if i give them money then they won't kill people you got it wrong Okay, you want to stop killing, you want to stop violence, then attack the violence, attack the killing. Go after the ringleaders of the people who are bringing out that ideology. That's a different discussion. Help poor people another way. Find a way to help them that doesn't give money to these criminals and these violent folks. And that is another discussion, and I understand that's not as easy, but we must stop thinking that cutting down on poverty will end crime and violence. And what all the, all the boycotting of SodaStream did today was take probably a couple of thousand Arabs, you know, when you include the families and everybody else like that who were anyway connected with the old West Bank factory. And again, I hope a lot of them stayed somehow connected to the company, either in equity or in some other way, so that they still made a lot of money today. But clearly there are a lot of them who missed out on a poverty-ending deal today. Ten times your money in three years, that's a poverty-ending, life-changing change. That won't happen for them because of the criminal BDS movement, the terrorists that inspire it, and the criminals that take a lot of joy in attacking Israel and doing things like this. That's what happened today. So please, it's a great story. And I think it's not only a great story just to celebrate, but it's also a great story to remember. This very important lesson I hope everyone remembers. Crime, terrorism, violence causes poverty, not the other way around. And today, a, a poverty-ending moment was missed because of the criminal BDS movement. This is Jake Novak. This has been the Novak Now program on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week. Again, congratulations to you SodaStream investors. I'll speak to you again soon.